0: All right, Isaiah chapter number 22. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 20. The Bible says, "...and it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government unto his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem." And to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Notice verse 23. Our text is found here. It says, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. I want to read that again. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. Pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, I need Your help. I confess before these people my inability. But Lord, I want to thank You that You take the ordinary and do extraordinary things through it. And Lord, I want to ask that You give me the unction and the power that I need tonight. Pray that Your Son, Jesus Christ, will be lifted up and His high and holy name would be magnified. And Lord, that before we leave here, we'll have met with You and been obedient to Your Word. Father, You know each heart's need. We just ask You to meet it unto Your glory and in Your will. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read this passage, I'm fascinated by the phrase that's used in verse 23, and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And I have named tonight's sermon, Fastened as a Nail. You see, this phrase evokes many things to us. But the, the premier one, I think, as I read this passage is it relates to us God's will in the life of a man named Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. Now, Eliakim was one of the chief messengers of Hezekiah, the king uh, there in Judah. And during this time, uh, they were going through a lot of national turmoil and difficulty. And God used Eliakim in a unique way. But tonight, I don't want to necessarily preach on that narrative. But I want to preach on the thought of God's placing him to be used in a mighty way. You know, you and I, God has a will for our lives. God has a plan for us. And I believe in the providence of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I believe in the free will of man as well. Uh, but I believe that God is a sovereign God. And I believe providentially He places us where He wants us to be. Well, when I came to Walridge, I knew that it was God's will for my life. I had no question about it. I I prayed about it for a short while and God made it very clear to me that it was God's will for my life. And I'm, I'm glad there was enough people here that felt that way too, amen? Uh, there may be less people here now that feel that way than then, amen, I don't know, but uh, I certainly knew it was God's will for my life, and uh, insomuch that I, I was working still at Tabernacle, you know, and, and I don't by any means, don't think for one moment that I'd boast, because all boasting is done away with in the presence of the Lord, so don't think that that's what I'm doing, but uh, that last month that I was at Tabernacle, and that was the first month I was here, you know, I... I gave up my, my paycheck and I left my kids. I said goodbye to them there in the youth group. And I did that not because I was so sure and confident of myself, I promise you. But I did it because I knew that Walridge was God's will for my life. You see, I believe God places us somewhere to use us for His glory. And I believe if we'll follow the Lord, we'll find that will in our lives. Well, about placing Eliakim in the place that God would use him, God uses the terminology, I'm going to fasten him, as a nail. And I got to thinking about that phrase, and you know the truth is, everybody that's in the will of God has been fastened there by the Lord. And I'll tell you what I mean, just give you a few short thoughts tonight. Uh, I thought, what funny terminology to use. Fastened like a nail. But you know, the Bible is full of illustrations that you and I can relate to. And uh, there's no question that the Bible is not written for a bunch of high clergy, but for the common man to show God's love towards him. And what a universal illustration. I'd say there's not a person here that at some point hasn't nailed a nail into a wall. We all have. We've all experienced that. You go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you uh, buy a box of nails and you've got your hammer. Just the other day, me and my wife started hanging stuff up in our house and uh, you know, we've been married for three years, but we started hanging stuff up the other day. I mean, some of you have been like that too, I'm sure. And we were hanging things up in, in our house, and we did that by using nails and things of that sort. And when you think about this imagery, I want to say three things that we notice. and Just touch on them in your mind. I want to say a word about the production of this nail. You know, nails don't grow naturally in the wild. Uh, they're produced. It takes work. It takes effort. And there's a process that goes about before the finished product of a nail that you or I might buy ever comes into being. But a nail is no good unless it's placed somewhere. And so I want to take a moment and look at the placement of the nail. And of course, a nail is a utilitarian object. It's a utensil. It's used for a... Purpose. When we think about the production of this nail, we know that every nail starts by being minerals that are mined out of the ground, commonplaces. And if you're writing it down, I would just say that this nail has been mined from soil and stone from common places. It doesn't come from a strange land. It doesn't come from a strange place. But from the everyday, from what is under our feet, from what's under our roads and under our houses, that's where you get the materials to make this nail. Can I tell you tonight that each and every person that's ever done something for God has still been flesh and bone? There's nothing unique about them in and of themselves. The Bible tells us in the book of First Corinthians, chapter number 1. You can turn there if you'd like, but you don't have to. I can read it to you. Uh, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, "...For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called." I like this verse. This verse encourages me. "...But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world." "...to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught, things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. I could go down the list of great men of God and some names would be familiar, some names wouldn't. I could talk about D.L. Moody and I could talk about Charles Spurgeon and I could talk about these great men that have done great things for God. But every single one of them, they woke up and put their britches on the same way as you and I. The truth of the matter is, all God needs to do something great in a person's life is a submitted person. Uh, Too often, I think, we convey to young people uh, that unless they're extraordinary, they can't do anything extraordinary. And many times when we lift up great men of the faith and we look at the great things that they've done and we set them on a pedestal. The problem with a pedestal is somebody's got to help you get up there, amen? Uh, nobody, nobody, nobody in this world except for our Lord was perfect. And each and every person that's done something for God has been a common and ordinary person that served an extraordinary God. Uh, You could go down the list of great preachers and you'd find ordinary people. And let me go even a step farther in saying that God has a tendency to use the ordinary above the extraordinary. Go through the Word of God. You'll find farmers. You'll find shepherds. You'll find fishermen. You'll find men that were obscure and insignificant, but they served a great God that used them in a mighty way. And I want to encourage you tonight, and we've got some young people here, we've got some not-so-young people, we've got some good-looking people, And well, uh, but we've got lots of people here tonight, you know. And uh, sometimes there's a temptation to think, you know, I could never do anything great for God. Sometimes there's a temptation to think, you know, I'm not like that other person. I'm not like the great singers, or I'm not like the great preachers, or I'm not like the great Sunday school teachers. I could never do anything great for God. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you that a nail can be used for uh, insignificant purposes, but it can be used for significant purposes too? And that nail, there's nothing great about it. It's just a regular old nail, but it can be used in a mighty way. Uh, Somewhere, uh, there is someone that has won these great men to Christ. There's no question about it. Uh, We could talk about a a Sunday school teacher, a young man uh, that was a shoe cobbler. That's what he did for a living. And he was not a significant person. He taught a small Sunday school class, but one day he took a little young man, 17 year old young man by the name of Dwight to the side and said, Dwight, do you know the Lord is your Savior? Uh, led D.L. Moody to the Lord, and there's over a million souls that have come to know Christ as a result of the ministry of D.L. Moody. We could talk about Dr. Robertson down in Chattanooga, uh, pastored a church at one time that ran 30,000 people, untold numbers of people in heaven today because of the influence that he had. And it was just a little Sunday school teacher named Miss Hawkins that would every single Sunday faithfully, faithfully present the gospel to a little young boy's Sunday school class that asked him, asked young. Have you ever known the Lord as your Savior? You see, God uses ordinary people, and He always has. You can never get too big for God, uh, or too small for God, but you can get too big for God in a hurry. The truth is, every one of us is just flesh and bone. We all fail, we all make mistakes, but God uses people that have failed. We see that it was mined from soil and stone, but, you know, once they get the minerals, something has to be done. It has to be purified, and it has to be melted in a searing heat. Uh, God has a way of trying and purifying His people. The Bible tells us in the book of, uh, 1 Peter, and I believe it's chapter number one. Let me turn over here and I'll read it to you. It says in verse number six, wherein ye, or verse number five, excuse me, says, who are kept by the power of God, speaking of believers, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now this is talking about believers. Ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says, Job said, uh, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And every believer, if it's going to be used for God, he's going to have to go through the heat of the furnace, just as those minerals did. Uh, we all go through difficult times. We all go through sorrows. We all go through trials. You know, it breaks my heart to think of what Sharon and the rest of the Coppinger family must be feeling right now, with Eddie going home to be with the Lord. And I know that they wouldn't, they wouldn't bring him back for anything in the world. But it still hurts. And can I tell you though that there's purpose in the melting? Uh, If it wasn't for the melting, that nail could never be what it needed to be. And only God in heaven knows why you have to go through the things you go through. But I have this promise from Him that every single thing that takes place in my life has purpose to it. Uh, Truthfully, whenever any kind of metal is taken, it has to be purified. The impurities have to be gotten out of it. And the only way for that to happen is heat. Can I tell you that when we go through trials, if we look unto the Lord, we're holier as a result of it? We're holier as a result of the difficulties we've gone through if we look to the Lord in the midst of them. We can't always understand it, but the furnace is a part of the Christian walk. The valley is a part of the Christian walk. And without those experiences, you'll never be what God would have you to be. So we see that it's mined from soil and stone and it's melted in a a searing heat. But can I say that it's molded by the smith's hand? Uh, whoever it is that's making that nail, and of course today it's all mass produced, uh, but at one time it would have been uh, poured into a mold, and it would have had to have been shaped, and it would have had to have been made, and there was someone who by his loving hands would work patiently and toil away on that nail to make it what it was. You might say, well, it's just a nail, it's not a sword, it's not an axe, it's not something significant. No, but it takes craft, it takes purpose, it takes design to create even a nail. Can I tell you that in your life, as you're going through these things, the God in heaven is molding and making you what would be pleasing to Him. That's not easy to understand. It wasn't for Job. Uh, Job, I guess, went through more suffering than we could ever imagine. Uh, in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, it seemed that his whole life was destroyed. And there Job stood by ten freshly dug graves and he rent his clothes and covered himself with ashes, and he was heartbroken. He'd lost everything that he had. His wife looked at him and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? We get pretty harsh on Job's wife, you know, but I think she was saying it out of love. I think it broke her heart to see her husband suffering the way that he was. Uh, he looked at her, and boy, we couldn't get away with this today, amen. But he, uh, he looked at her and said, you speak as one of the foolish women do. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? The Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of that trial and difficulty, he uttered those words in uh, Job 23.10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job understood that the things he was going through in his life were the unconscious preparation of Almighty God. It took the years in the backside of the desert for Moses to be the man that he needed to be to lead the children of Israel out. It took fighting the lion and fighting the bear before David could fight the giant. It takes the trials and the difficulties to do what God would have us to do, but He's molding us in a way that we could never do without them. I look at my life and the way God prepared me for ministry. It amazes me to look at the things, you know, Uh, You can learn good and you can learn bad. You know that? (laughs) Maybe it's you can learn well. I don't know. I was never a big English person. Uh, But, you know, I look back at my life and I look at the way that God prepared me for the pastorate. uh, Trust me, this preacher has a lot to learn. Don't think for one moment I'm saying I've got everything figured out. But everybody knows that I've never never set foot in a Bible college class. I was not trained for ministry in that way. But God brought me through some things near the end of, of the ministry I was at before that were difficult, that were hard, things I could not understand. But I learned some things in those last few months, that last year, that have been invaluable to me as a pastor. Let me just put it this way. If you had got this preacher about a year and a half before that you did, I'd be a totally different pastor. It shaped the way I pastor that much. If I could say it this way, and of course this is recorded, it'll go on the computer and... The truth is the truth, no matter what it is. In a lot of ways, I learned what not to do as a pastor. I saw people get get hurt. I saw unnecessary control enforced. I saw things that people shouldn't have had to go through. I went through things that were difficult to go through. It, I couldn't understand it at the time. I'll just tell you very honestly. I was going through these things, and I, I'd sit, you know, we all wallow in self-pity. And I'd sit there and think, you know, God... Why? I'm trying to serve you. Why am I going through these things? Why why is my ministry being diminished? Why why am I being closed out of an opportunity to serve? Lord, uh, why is this uh, bridge of difficulty in front of me that I'm having to, to go through? God, I don't understand. But I can tell you now, this preacher looks back and he realizes that he learned a lot of things in that last year or so. Things that couldn't have been taught any other way. I didn't understand it, but the loving hand of God was molding me. He's still doing that today. I know that. Uh, You'd be amazed at the things God uses in a preacher's life to show him how he needs to act and what he needs to do. God still, every day, is showing me and teaching me, and I hope that I'm listening. I ought to be. But can I tell you that in your life, the same is true. You may not understand what you're dealing with, but if the nail is ever going to be useful, it's got to go through the furnace and it's got to be molded. God's preparing each and every one of us to do a work for Him. I've heard some men say that everybody has one great work in life that they do that God prepares them for. I don't know if that's true. I know it was true for Moses. I know it was true for David. I know it was true for Solomon. I I don't know if that's true, but I do know this. Everything that we're going through has purpose and is molding us to be used for God's glory. We see the uh production of this nail, how it was made. But I want you to notice the placement of this nail. Uh, one of the most aggravating things, I guess, in the world is to try to try to hammer a nail in if you're trying to hang a picture and get it in the right place. You wouldn't think it'd take that much geometry to put a picture up in the right place, but there's been times I've gone to hang a picture up and before I know it. I've got a, a square and a level and a tape measure and a plum and a laser sight, and I'm thinking, I just wanted to nail one nail into the wall, you know significant where you place a nail. There's a few things about the placement of a nail as I thought about this that stuck in my mind. And the first thing that stuck in my mind is that a nail is always in a place of prominence. It's always until it's being used. It's always on display. It's always somewhere where you can see it. Now, unless you're nailing a board to the wall or baseboard or something, whenever you're nailing and hanging something up, you always put it at a place where people can see it. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, you can believe what you want about Hebrews uh, 11 and 12, but I don't believe it's talking about Mammon and Papa in heaven. When you read in Hebrews 11, it's talking about the Old Testament saints and the way that they suffered and how that everyone around them was looking them. They were a witness to this world. And the Bible says, of whom the world was not worthy. And then it says, wherefore, seeing we also were compassed about with a cloud of witnesses. Can I tell you that God's will in your life is going to put you in front of people's eyes? Now, before you misunderstand me, I'm not saying you're going to be in a, a place of great popularity. I'm not saying that you're always going to be the center of attention or the star of the show. What I'm saying is that when you serve God, people in your life are watching you serve God. They're paying attention to the way you look, the way that you act, the way that you talk, the things that you do. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but so, sometimes sometimes I get that foot-and-mouth disease, you know. How many of you are guilty of that sometimes? I say things I ought not to say. And, uh, you know, do things. You ever done something and thought, boy, that was stupid. You look back on it and just thought, what What was wrong with me? I, I must have just lost my mind for a second. I do that sometimes. Everything that we say, God takes a record of. But can I tell you that except it is spoken in the most solemn isolation. Most everything we say, someone else takes a record of, too. When we lose our temper, when we say something we ought not say, when we act some way that we ought not act. We're on display, church. Uh, It's been said before, and I believe it's probably true, that every single one of you is the best Christian somebody knows. Somebody is measuring the validity of Christianity by the way that you live. They're looking at you and saying, that's what a Christian is. Now, that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. If we live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and serve God and are fervent and, and are zealous about it and are obedient to the Lord, that can be a good thing. But I know there's been times in my life when I've been guilty of living in such a way that if I was the, if I was the display model, if I was the stock picture of what Christianity is, it would put a poor and pitiful picture of what Christianity is. The Lord's looking at us, there's no question, but others are looking at us. And every one of us were put on display. But can I tell you that uh, when a nail is driven, if a nail's going to be sure, isn't that what it says in verse 23, I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, we've got to be driven deep too. When God uses a person, it's always a person that has a deep walk with him. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill used to always say that no man is greater than his prayer life. And I can tell you this, that shallow Christians never accomplish much of anything for God. You say, how do you know a shallow Christian? A Christian that gets their feelings hurt over every little thing is probably a shallow Christian. Now, I know that hurts, but it's the truth. The Bible says uh, that blessed are those that love thy law. The Bible says nothing shall offend them. You love the Word of God enough, it's going to give you a little bit of thick skin. Now I know sometimes you know sometimes in Baptist churches you could just you could drop a a cage around all of the doors and you know get an announcer in there and have WrestleMania right in the middle of the church sometimes I know I know that's how it is sometimes but the truth of the matter is this if you're deep enough in the things of God you'll learn how to live and act with a little bit of grace the bible says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and uh, you may not need mercy today from the people around you, but there will come a day when you will. There will come a day when you're going to need people to be forgiven towards you. And uh, if you're forgiven towards others, you'll find that forgiveness. You'll find that forgiveness. Uh, but I believe we need to be deep in the things of God. I believe there's something that even goes a little farther than, than just deepness in the things of God. I believe when a nail is nailed into a place, you know why it's nailed deep? It's nailed there so it doesn't go anywhere. And can I tell you that we ought to be sure about God's will for our life best as we can. I understand sometimes God's will is a mysterious thing. I understand sometimes it takes time to discover the will of God about a matter. I I understand that. But let me just say that as we make decisions, if we're sure they're the will of God, it will give us a stability that we so desperately need. Uh, the Bible says that a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We live in a, in a day of double minded Christianity. Uh, we live in a day when people are tossed to and fro with every slight and weight of doctrine. We live in a day when people are here one minute and gone the next, hot one minute, cold the next, a, a roller coaster Christianity, if you will. We always, when we have someone join our church, and we never open the doors of the church, uh, in the sense of just saying any and all, come on. But I, I try to meet with people and talk to them. And I always tell them this. If you're going to be a part of Walridge Baptist Church, don't be a part of the church because you like the preaching or like the singing. Don't be a part of the church because you like the ministries that we have. And don't be a part of the church because you like the location or, or like the people that are here. If you're going to be a part of Walridge Baptist Church, be a part because you've prayed and you know that it's God's will for your life. And you know what that does? It helps people six months down the road when I don't preach that great of a sermon to not get upset and leave. It helps them six months down the road when somebody gets up and sings and, and uh, moves into about six or eight different keys, amen, and gets the cats outside in the alleyways squalling. It helps them to not get upset and leave. Hey, it helps them uh, later on when one of those ministries that they like uh, shuts down or a new ministry takes its place. It helps them to stick in and to stay. I believe God's will for our life ought to be a deep thing in our life. And it ought to be something that we know we're here and we know we're here because it's what God wants us to do and wants us to be. But a nail is placed not only on display and in a deep place, but it's placed with a duty in mind. It's placed in a place where it can be used. I understand that that as people get older, sometimes... The ability to do things for God is limited by health or time or things like that. But let me say that God's will for your life will always involve being in a place where you can be used, always. Because every single believer is commanded to be a servant of God, every single believer. There's not a one of us that's been saved just to sit. We've all been saved to serve. And God's will for your life will always mean that you'll be at a place where you can be used for God's glory. You don't hang a nail up for no reason, do you? Uh, you don't hang a nail up just because a nail needs to be hung up. You, you hang a nail up because you're going to hang something on it. So it's going to be used for a purpose. And let me say that every single believer is placed where they're placed to be used, not just to relax, not just to enjoy themselves. Uh, and, and can I say that uh, church is a participative event. We're all supposed to participate. And some people say, well, I'd just love to be somewhere where I didn't have to do anything. Then you'll have to be out of God's will to be there. Uh, The only place where you don't have to do anything for God is out of His will. If you're in the will of God, you're going to be doing something for God and serving God. Every single believer will be. Now, I know things change and sometimes we're doing some things and uh, then years may go by and our role may shift and change. We may be doing something else. But every believer has a work to do for God and to be used for Him. Finally, I want to say a word about the purpose of this nail. Why was this nail hung up? I I believe that it it, uh, gives us the reason that we're placed where we're placed for the Lord, I want you to look again at this verse, what it says in verse uh, 21. It says, And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. There was two things hung upon this nail, so to speak. Now, this is talking about Eliakim. But it's saying that a robe will be put on him and that a girdle will be put on him. And you've got to remember, he's fastened as a nail. So there's two things hanging on this nail. We're going to talk about a third thing here in a moment. The first thing is a robe is put upon him. The robe always signifies righteousness as it relates to the believer. Because you see, your righteousness is not your own righteousness. But if you've been saved, the only righteousness that you have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been put upon your account. You can live righteous, but when God looks at you, it doesn't matter how good you are. He doesn't look at your righteousness. He looks at Christ's righteousness. If you've been washed in the blood and saved by grace, the Bible says we put on Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks in the book of Revelation about uh, the saints that were clothed in white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ has made unto us righteousness. So wherever God puts you, He's putting you there so that you can live right and be righteous. Uh, I know that there's some that would say we need to go to the bars to win the drunks. I don't believe that. There's some that would say we need to go to the pornography stores to win the perverts. I don't believe that. And some would say we need to go to the, uh, to the drug dens to win the drug addicts. And I'd say I do not believe that. I'm not saying we need to be isolated from this world. We need to be separated from it, but we don't need to be isolated from it. Uh, God gives us plenty of opportunities to interact uh, with people that are in need of Jesus Christ without having to go into a den of iniquity to do it. And whatever God's will is for your life, if you're following the Lord, if you're in His will and being obedient to Him, it's going to mean that you're going to be a more righteous person as a result of it. You're going to walk closer with the Lord, than you did beforehand. Uh, God doesn't put anyone in a situation so that their spiritual walk can diminish. Now, that's not to say if our walk with the Lord diminishes, it's because we're out of the will of God. There's many reasons that our walk with the Lord can diminish. If we're not praying or reading our Bible, if we're not being active in giving the gospel out on a daily basis, those can diminish our walk with the Lord. Uh, but anywhere that you're at that's God's will for your life, it's going to mean that you can walk closer with Him there. We see that righteousness was a reason that this nail was put in its place. But the Bible says that he would be strengthened with thy girdle. Now, when I read this, my mind immediately went to Ephesians 6.14, where the Bible says, Stand therefore with your loins, girt about with truth. It's interesting that the Bible says it would be strengthened by thy girdle. You know, the Bible continually talks about us being strengthened by the Word of God and by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me say that wherever that you're serving God at, whatever God's will is for your life, it's going to be a place where you're going to learn more about Jesus Christ, where truth is going to strengthen you in your daily walk. But let me go further and say that it's going to be a place that gives you opportunity to share truth with others. God doesn't put us on this earth so that we can live in a bubble and never talk to anyone and never be an opportunity to be a witness. In fact, the Bible says uh, that ye shall be witnesses unto me after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall receive power, the Bible says. Every one of us is saved so that we can be a witness to what God has done in our lives. And uh, you may say, well, preacher, are you saying we have to be on visitation? No. Let me say this, a church will be far more benefited if it does not have a door-knocking, door-to-door program... Now, I'm for it. You know I'm for it. and We've done it ever since I've been here, and we're going to continue to do it. But let me say that more could be done for the cause of Christ if the members of that church would just daily in their everyday walk, every opportunity they get, be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not just talking about lifestyle evangelism. I'm talking about vocally, verbally, publicly giving the gospel out to those you come into contact with. It's funny, uh, you know, and, and this, I guess, is just the irony of, of uh, visitation, as it were. And again, I'm for it. We always do it. I'll be doing it tomorrow, and I believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, but it's funny because there's, there's people that I've known in churches before that uh, would, wouldn't dare witness to someone all week, but then go out on a Thursday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Friday or a Monday and spend two hours witnessing. And uh, it's funny to me that all throughout their week, God's put people in front of their path that are in need of the gospel, and yet they reserve that opportunity. Or let's just say they throw away that opportunity to witness to those people and they go out and take some of their time and, and witness on a Thursday or Friday or Monday or Wednesday or whatever it may be. I don't think there's anything wrong with going out and doing that. We do it every week. But let me say that true soul winning is not an activity. It's a it's a lifestyle. <laughs> and I don't mean lifestyle evangelism. I mean, true soul winning is not saying... Uh, Well, if I, if I go to a restaurant, I leave tracks there, and that's the little part that I do. Now, by all means, leave, leave all the tracks that you can, but true soul winning is living with the Savior's eyes and saying, Lord, put someone in front of me that I can be a witness to. Not just that I can invite to church, although you ought to invite them to church. Not just that I can say something about Jesus in front of, although you ought to say something about Jesus in front of, but somebody that you can ask point blank. Have you ever come to know the Lord as your Savior? Do you know the Lord? Are you confident if you died right now that you'd go to heaven? Let me tell you something, neighbor. We pass people every day, day in and day out, that are on their way to hell. And if somebody doesn't give them the gospel, hey, the only reason you're saved is because somebody gave you the gospel. That's the only reason I'm saved. Somebody gave me the gospel. And every single one of us has an obligation to give the gospel every single day as the Lord opens doors. That doesn't mean the Lord wants you to run around like a nut, quit your job and uh, just spend all day uh, barking at people here and there and everywhere. But I promise you, you've got people that you come into contact with that are lost that God gives you opportunities to be a witness for if you'll just take those opportunities. So we see that uh, he was girt about with truth. But let me give you one final thing, and I'm going to hush. Look at verse 23 one more time. The end of the verse, it says, "...and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house." Now, this looks past Eliakim. This passage actually speaks prophetically about Jesus Christ. But it says that he'll be glorifying to his father's house. Can I tell you that... The third reason that you're placed where you're placed is to give glory to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. For what? For His name's sake. Too often we feel like if we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, it must not be right. It must not be okay. Because God didn't check with us first. But God's not leading you in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. He's leading you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The reason God leads you the way that He leads you so that He can gain the most glory out of your life. And let me tell you something, giving glory to God is not always a pleasant thing either. What did Paul say? I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, Paul gave the most glory at that time in his life to the Lord because of the thorn in his flesh. He knew that it was giving God glory. And let me tell you something. Paul was guilty of praying and asking God to take from his life the very thing that was giving God the most glory. What was the answer God gave him? God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. God said, no, Paul, you may not see it now, but there'll come a day when you'll thank me for not taking that thorn away. You know why? Because the Bible says that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Uh, the Bible says that the trials and sufferings that we go through uh, purchased for us, give for us a far more exceeding eternal weight in glory. The fact is, the things that you go through in life are abounding under God's glory. And we can't see it now. I know that. We can't see it now. But the reason God puts you where He puts you is so He can gain more glory out of you. It's not to make you comfortable. It's not because you enjoy it. It's not because it's even what you want. But God places you where He places you so that He can get glory. You say, Preacher, what does that mean for my life? Let me just put it very simply as this. What it means for your life is as you're praying and seeking God's will, you ought to ask yourself this. Would what I'm wanting to do bring God glory? Uh, The fact is, our entire life is to be for the glory of God. Do you know that's the purpose of the believer? The work of the believer is giving of the gospel and being a witness and serving the Lord. But the purpose of the believer is to be found unto His praise and honor and glory. Read Ephesians chapter 1 sometime. That's why you've been created, is to give glory to Him. One of the greatest ways is you seek God's will for your life and pray over it. One of the greatest ways that you can determine the Lord's will and gain some direction on it, is to ask yourself this, will what I'm doing glorify Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you tonight in saying this, that God has a will for your life. Each and every one of you. He has a purpose, He has a plan, and He's a providential God. Now that doesn't mean that uh, you know within the scope of God's sovereignty, everything always works out to His glory. But within the scope of God's providence, uh, we don't always follow the Lord. And God is going to get glory out of our lives one way or the other. Uh, But I promise you this, if you follow the Lord and seek His will and be obedient to it, uh, He'll get glory out of your life, but it'll be for your good as well.